Good morning. Um, just in case y'all didn't notice, it is unofficial blue polo Sunday at First Baptist Arlington. <laughs> so if you wore your blue polo, you could pick up a prize outside the door on the way. But we had three on stage, and I can count. Anyway, I don't want to distract you. All eyes on me. But after this, look around. There are many, many people chose their blue Sundays this morning, or their blue polos. So um, I'm obviously honored to be here and glad to uh, fill in, if that's what we want to call it, for our pastor who is on study leave. As Kurt said, he takes the usually the month of July off to prepare, study, kind of look beyond July and look toward next year so we can come back with a vision for our staff so that we might be ready in the new year to do what God has for us as a church. And so I'm grateful to fill in for him. Um, I know you'll all be excited to hear we are still in Ecclesiastes. <laughs> We're in week seven of nine. Kenna Jean's with me. We're going to do it. But, um, you know, it's been a, f- a f- funny and enjoyable time as we look through Ecclesiastes. But um, you've heard some jokes from the pulpit, and Dr. Wiles and Cindy were, I think Dr. Wiles brought it to our attention the other day. Cindy wanted to bring someone to church with her, and she said, you know what, I'll just wait till August because it's so depressing to walk through Ecclesiastes. Um, and there's a, a, a woman I'm close to in the first service, and she said, I just cry every time I come to church in the summer. It's just a really fun summer teaching to go through. And it's just a fascinating book. I was talking to one of my... Um, colleague, friends. It's a professor at Truett who's about my age, and I didn't have her when she was there, but she's there now. And uh, I am not a Hebrew scholar. I did take Hebrew in seminary, but anytime I have a Hebrew question, I email her or call her because she is a Hebrew scholar. And we were talking about Ecclesiastes last time we talked, and she said, you know, fascinatingly enough, it's one of the books of the Bible that a lot of military chaplains use because if people have been through war or have seen some things, it's one of the only books that really resonates with where they are in life. And what it, it makes sense to them that you might approach a situation and say, everything's meaningless and nothing matters. And so for some of us, it is exactly what we need to hear today. For some of you, I will acknowledge, you may be ready to keep on trucking. And so what I would say to you is we may be done with Ecclesiastes, but Ecclesiastes is not yet done with us, and there's still more to learn. And I, I think even in my study in preparation for today, there, there's, a, there's wisdom to still be had, and there's advice and counsel to find in it. And so we're going to hop in it today, and we're going to walk through two verses that the pastor has assigned to me. Um, I think that's fair to say. One, hi, Dr. Wiles and Cindy. Usually at some point, they'll pop in and check on us. They can't, you know, leave us completely to ourselves. And so... Uh, they're, um, they're out and about today on their study leave, but I'm sure he'll at some point say hi. So, hello, we're taking care of it. Kurt's done a great job. Ann did a good job. You're good. Um, feel free to enjoy your time off. Uh, but I want to read it together. So Ecclesiastes 7, if you want to, I think it's going to be on the screen too, but I'm reading out of the NIV if you want to follow with what you have. So uh, Ecclesiastes 7, starting in verse 13. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. So verse 13, consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When I think about just the world and the things that only God can touch and only, the only things that only God can create and make, I thought about what Charlie pointed us to, and I think if I had to speculate, there are many a pastor is, are using these images this Sunday morning because they're powerful, and they evoke something within us, and they point us to God, but the new James Webb telescope has been launched out, and apparently it's fueled for 20 years worth of exploratory photo taking, and we are just seeing the very beginnings, almost a test run of all of this. 
Uh, but they're amazing, amazing photos. So we've got a few. I've got three that I want to look at together. One is this um, Nebula Carina. Am I getting that right? The Carina Nebula? Do we have it? Oh, good, good. I think if you're online, it's like right here for you. Okay, so we'll watch that together. But uh, the Carina Nebula, it's amazing, right? I don't even know, I don't really even know what it is, except it's a lot of cosmic gases like 4.8 billion light years away from us. So we are seeing like the outer realms of our universe for the first time in this kind of clarity. It's amazing. This next photo, I think, is, is somewhat overwhelming in its beauty. Like Charlie was saying in his prayer, every one of these lights we see is its own star, which around it is its own galaxy. And just as a reminder, let's look at the next photo. This is where we are. Around one little star, we're in one little, what? Ryan's more spacey than I am, and he's corrected me a lot on this. And even before I got up here, he gave me a little coaching thing about there's the Marvel Universe, but then there's each movie is like its own galaxy, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I still can't get it right. So we live in a vast universe, but the Milky Way is our own little galaxy, which is, and within that, there's our star. Yeah, it's fine. You get it. Uh, the point, the point that I'm trying to make is that, I mean, look, look at this vast, when you think about, when, when the first verse of the text that we're looking at today says, consider what God has done. And then it talks about who can make straight what God has made crooked. What if I were to say to that beautiful nebula, you know, I really would prefer that it not be the color gold. I would really prefer a purple nebula. And so we're gonna get the best and brightest among First Baptist Arlington, and we're gonna put together a task force, and we're gonna figure out how to get NASA on board, and we're gonna change the color of that nebula from beautiful gold to even more beautiful purple, because I know better, and I can change it. And what if I looked at the Milky Way, and I said, I've never really liked the shape or the color. It's kind of a spiral, and I always thought it'd be cooler if it was like a hurricane or maybe like a square. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to call NASA, and we're going to get all the resources in the world, and we're going to change the shape of the Milky Way galaxy. Galaxy? <laughs> yeah, well, it would be laughable, right? We would, we would look at each other and say, this person is insane. They're trying to control things that are way, way, way beyond anything that they can control. Yet, in our own lives, there are things that we wish so badly that we could control, that we could put a task force together and knock out, that with our own prayer, spiritual discipline, fasting, that we could get to a place where we could just knock it out on our own. and our own will, we could control some things. And I think if there's one thing we can take from the sum of Ecclesiastes, but certainly the text we're looking at today, is there are certain parts of our life that we are not in control of and only God is. And I think there's great wisdom in knowing where the limit is, what we can control and what we cannot. And with that said, wisdom is very valuable. I pray for wisdom a lot in just the leading of the people that I'm walking through life with, and I wanna be a person that's wise, but we have to understand that even wisdom has its limits. And Dr. Ian Proven, he's a professor at Regent Seminary, he's a British Old Testament scholar. He says it like this, and I think he says it really well about this verse. Although certain ways of being and behaving are wiser than others in general, and in general tend toward life rather than death, in the end, we must remember that the universe is not a predictable machine, but a personally governed and complex space. Wisdom is not magic. God is not an object to be manipulated, nor does God's world belong to human beings. If God makes something crooked, it is beyond human power to make it straight. And for some of us, it's a really hard thing to hear because we want so badly to control our lives. And sometimes for really noble reasons, you want to 
You want to protect the people you love from hurt and pain. You want to uh, control your environment to just control your own world. It's not all for selfish gain. Some people want control for really good reasons. But the overarching narrative of Scripture and the passage here reminds us that there are many, many parts of our world and our universe that are beyond our control. And wisdom is only so good that it leads us to a place of humility and of worship and of submission to this great God that can control all things. J.J. Heller is a Christian artist and she has a quote from one of her songs that says this, no matter, no matter how the wind may blow, it cannot shake the sun. I think there's great wisdom in knowing when we're just the wind blowing, trying to shake the sun, and when there's, there's good work to be done to change our environment. It reminds me a little bit, and we're gonna go in the New Testament, if that's okay. I know we've been camping out in Ecclesiastes. Go. Um, it reminds me a little bit of the Sermon on the Mount. You don't have to flip there, but in Matthew 6, Jesus references, it's his first big sermon, and he tells everybody around him, he said, consider the birds of the air, consider the flowers of the field. They don't work for it, they don't, they don't harvest, they don't store up things, yet God provides for them, and how much more does he love you? And so what's your job? It's to seek God and to seek his kingdom, and he'll make things straight. That's a good word for us today out of Ecclesiastes and out of Jesus' words in the New Testament. So if we can't control our own world, if we can't control our universe, then what do we do? Let's move to verse 14, this little verse that it starts with, when times are good, be happy. If you're reading the NIV, that's what it says, when times are good, be happy. But if you're reading the Hebrew, it's actually the same word twice. The word good is tov in Hebrew, and so in Hebrew, if you were to read this, verse 13, it would say, when times are tov, be tov. When times are good, be good. And I know that sometimes uh, we feel in this world like we don't maybe have permission to just be good, because the world is so odd right now. Um, one of my best friends is here today, here every day. She's a member of our church. Uh, Bethany Parrott is one of the counselors in our counseling center. Um, some of y'all know about our counseling center. We have, a, we have a great group of therapists here. Bethany is also helping me lead. Well, you're really leading. I'm facilitating the grief talks on Wednesday nights. So you'll see her sometimes facilitating talks for our church. But Bethany and I had dinner the other night, and she speculated to me, and in our conversation, we both speculated, is everyone just struggling right now, or is it just the people in our world? And we had to acknowledge that we both have jobs where we walk through life with people who are struggling. But there's this speculation, this in the air, is just the whole world a little bit fraught, a little bit heavy. Everywhere we look, is there something just a little bit wrong with everyone? Uh, and I'm not sure, maybe your life is going really well. If you were here about a month ago, the pastor preached a sermon in which he showed pictures and went through pretty much every hard social issue that we're up against right now. Do y'all remember that? Global issue. Um, there, oh, there, here's the list, including but not limited to these things. The Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. That feels forever ago, right? But it's still going on. Uh, I hear she's appealed. <laughs> I have no side. I have no dog in that fight. Uh, the January 6th hearing. Those are still going on. The Ukraine war, the Uvalde tragedy, inflation, which continues to climb. This one I have no idea, but I left it in. Phil Mickelson dash Dustin Johnson. It's golf, I don't, but I don't know what about it. It must have been a bad controversy to make that ranking of slides. I mean, that's pretty bad. And then, and then the Supreme Court decisions, which are, which are ongoing and very divisive, as you all know. And so I think it's reasonable sometimes that we can get weighed down by all this going around in our world, in our community. I, didn't even, I don't even know what's going on in your own heart, what's going on in your own family, what's going on in your own world. 
But we can get weighed down and say, it just feels heavy. And even if your life is good in the midst of all that, it can almost feel wrong or inappropriate to be happy, to be light, to be celebratory. But the teacher in Ecclesiastes is saying, if your life is good, it's okay to be good. It's okay to be happy. God wants us to be able to enjoy life even when everything around us is really, really hard. This is one of the truths of the gospel. Even when life looks really difficult, we can walk through life with the hope and the joy of Jesus. And it's like, like the road said, like, Lane, you said that so well, that we have hope. Even when life is hard, we have the Christian hope. And I guess if I need to give you some permission, it's okay to be okay if that's where your world is right now. And it's actually okay to feel okay because we have the buoyancy of the resurrected Christ to lift us up even when our circumstances are really, really hard. Two things on that. One, if you've been coming here a while, there is a psalm that's very important to us. Can anybody help me? Yeah, there's one psalm. It's Psalm 1, yeah. And it's, it's engraved on our baseboard, which is, in the first service, some people were looking really high. The baseboard is the bottom one. Um, <laughs> and I'm not calling out anybody. But it's engraved on the bottom, and you might not be able to see it where you are. But it starts over here, Psalm 1. Blessed is the, is the one who doesn't walk in the way of the wicked, keeps going all the way around, picks it back up up here, and then ends, again, uh, the righteous prosper, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And so we have Psalm 1 going around. The whole psalm, the whole Psalter, all 150 psalms start with the word blessed. And it really can be translated as happy. And even when the world is bad and things around us are really difficult because they always will be until the return of Christ, we have the power through the gospel to be happy people and it's okay. And we're getting permission from the text and I think the New Testament today to say when times are good in your own world, it is okay to be good and to have good in your life. There are two people who I think model that very well. One is Dennis Wiles. Dennis Wiles is always happy, right? And he's not, he's not playing because I spend a lot of time with him off the stage and that man is just an optimist at heart and it's amazing to watch, it really is. The other person is my friend Kurt Grice who's sitting right here with us. Kurt has a way of looking at life and realizing that, and he, I think you even said this in a sermon a few weeks ago, Kurt, that it's okay, what did you say? I, I quoted you, I even typed it out. If you can't find contentment in life, you're a troubled soul. Would you agree with that even today? Can I hold you to that? Okay. Uh, well, before we came out here this morning, Kurt gave me and Ryan a hug. We asked him how he was, and he said this, more often than not, I'm blessed more than I deserve. And I think that doesn't mean Kurt's life's perfect. That doesn't mean Kurt doesn't engage with the hard parts of life, because I know Kurt does. Kurt doesn't wrap himself up in bubble wrap and put himself in the closet and never engage with the world. But I think Kurt has a God-centered worldview where even when things are hard and even when things are heavy, Kurt can see that he can still be a blessed man and happy and content with his circumstances. It's Pauline. Paul says that. Uh, right before Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he says, not that I speak from a place of want because I've learned to be content with every circumstance I'm in. I think there's a, a Christian message and an invitation to us. If things are good, be good, and that's okay. Let's keep moving to, the, to what I would consider the most odd part of this passage that we've been given. So when times are good, be good. When times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Now, we credit this text uh, to Solomon, but as people have said this summer as they've preached, as our, these doctorates that have gone before me have said, it's, it, it's the teacher 
that's referenced. He self-references as the teacher or the counselor, or the advisor, or the koheleth. But for a minute, let's pretend it's Solomon, because in my mind, when I read this text, when Solomon says, when times are good, be good. When times are bad, consider this, God made them both, and no one can know anything about their future. It feels a little bit like throwing your hands up in this fatalistic way. Like, so it is, eat, drink, and be merry. It sounds a lot like Ecclesiastes when we do it. And I think, uh, I have this mental image of Solomon. Not many of you are gonna get this reference, but it's very uh, burned in my mind. As Winnie's older brother in, um, oh, help me out, I lost it. The good, the wonder years. In the Wonder Years, only in the first episode does Winnie's older brother show up, and he is the coolest guy that they've ever met. He's four years older than Winnie and Kevin. He shows up in like a muscle shirt. He's smoking a cigarette, leaning against his muscle car. And Kevin says this. His name's Brian Cooper. And he says, he was 19, and for us, he defined cool. And I kind of picture Solomon in this passage as Brian Cooper, like leaning up against his muscle car, smoking his cigarette. He's got the bumper sticker that says like, stuff happens or worse, but I can't say that in church, right? <laughs> He's sipping out of his coffee mug that says something like, life is rough and then you die. It's just this very fatalistic, like, life is hard, deal with it, do what you want, but you're gonna die, so you wanna eat, you wanna drink, you wanna be merry, okay, let's do it. Um, and sometimes I can get that picture of Solomon in my mind, and I think, that's, I think that's a little reductionistic. I don't think that's actually Solomon, but I think that's, if we're not careful, we can kind of approach the text and just feel like we're being told, like, do whatever, nothing matters, ever. And for me, it invites a little bit of a conversation, and I'd like to go there theologically today, if y'all are up for it, um, if I'm driving the bus, as Dr. Wallace has said, to the issues of sovereignty and providence. And I think when you read something, if you're me, that says, consider this, God's made one as well as the other. He's given you both the good times and the bad times. It evokes some questions about what is the role of God in the bad times of our life. I think we can all kind of acknowledge the role of God in the good times. We give God credit for the good times. God is the giver of good things. But when the bad times get bad, and maybe it's because of my corner of the world and the church that I live in, it evokes some really deep questions about the goodness of God, the providence of God, and the sovereignty of God. And so I wanna go there for just a minute. We won't camp out there. But I'll confess to y'all, and I think you'll agree with me, that sometimes as a church, especially as just a culture nationally, we ha we're not great at theology anymore, and we kind of focus on like cultural issues or uh, praise music, and we don't always learn a lot. Um, not, and that's not an indictment of our teaching at all. Dr. Wiles is a very good teacher of very good theology, um, but I think we ought to go there when a text asks it of us. And so I want to go through a little bit of if you've grown up in Protestant church in America, there's probably two camps that you might camp out in when we talk about the providence of God. And they're most, they're most colloquially known as like free will and predestination. So Roger Olson is a professor at Truett. We took him when he was there. He just retired. One of the leading theologians in kind of this area. So I've reread some Olson this past week or two. And there's, there's two camps. There are millions of camp, what I would call orthodox like these are in the scripture, they're valid arguments, they're really good, and there's two that I wanna look at. One is called meticulous providence, and I, we've certainly got it up here because I don't expect you to remember that. Meticulous providence, this is what it ascribes. Whatever happens in history and nature is completely, exhaustively willed by God and not merely just permitted. That's an important word at the end. The most popular form of this is Calvinism, although we could argue it went before Calvinism and Calvin might not even agree with what it's become today. But 
meticulous providence, that God has meticulously planned and willed everything, and you have very little um, power to change it or act within that. And this is orthodox, this is a very valid biblical argument. I didn't even bring up heresy, so don't worry about that. This is good, and if you believe this, you're right on track. The other one, that's kind of the other end of the orthodox spectrum from Calvinism, is Armenianism, or what we would call in limited providence. Which, these are Olson's definitions. God restrains himself for the sake of a certain limited degree of autonomy of both nature and human agency, and this promotes true moral freedom of choice. So within kind of orthodox sovereignty, these are the two camps that I would say are on either side. Beyond those, there's a ton of heresy, and some of us believe it and don't know it, and we could talk about those. I'm not trying to get you to pick a side today. We could talk about what side I might lie on after this, but here's what I want us to think about. Within this spectrum, from Calvinism to Arminianism or limited to meticulous, there's an orthodoxy that we should all uphold and agree on, and it really undergirds our faith. And it's, if we read these together, it's almost like we're confessing this morning that this really is what we believe about God and how he interacts with our world. And so there's three points, these are all the way Olson has described them, but I think they're a pretty good definition of how we view God's providence, sovereignty, will, and our world. And so these are the three, stick with me, it's important. So number one, we believe as a church that God is the good and just governor of nature and history and that he not only created, but also sustains, guides, provides for, and judges everything. Number two, nothing at all can happen in either nature or history that God does not at least allow. That last at least allow, that's where we disagree, but the whole statement, we can all agree on that part. Number three, God's sovereign governance of nature and history is both general, like natural laws, built-in processes, and special, extending to the details of people's lives. This would be just orthodox sovereignty as we see it. What I worry is that we can slip into some extremes, which would be heresy. One is fatalism, like I talked about, like Solomon can come off, as everything's um, not just predestined, but just imminent. You can't change it, you shouldn't even engage with it, just enjoy your life, kick your hands. I don't think that's a Christian view of worldview. The other that I think is very popular we can slip into if we're not paying attention is deism, which kind of says God created it, God put these natural laws in order so we have ethics and we have, we have a natural order of things, but then God just let it spin. It's kind of the cosmic clockmaker argument. And it's really easy to believe, I think, if we're not careful, that God is out there and yeah, he loves us and he created this and aren't the mountains cool and everything's great, but the idea that he would intervene in our lives and that he would care about our individual pain is not that God. God's out there, but he doesn't really care about me. And that's where I would like to drive this bus into the New Testament. Dr. Wiles has said at the end of each of his sermons when he's preached Ecclesiastes, he said this, there is one wiser than Solomon. Y'all caught that? It's kind of a refrain that he said at the end. And I think he's naming Jesus. I'm gonna go ahead and go out on a limb there. That I think the one wiser than Solomon is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Um, and so I want us to leave the Old Testament for a minute. I'm gonna drive the bus, as Dr. Wiles has said, into the New Testament because we can talk about theology, we can talk about the sovereignty of God, we can get a little muddled, but if we can consider Jesus and who he is 
the life he lived, the gift he gave us, I, I think we can keep our eyes on the prize. When we get confused about God in the Old Testament, if we can go to God revealed in the New Testament in the fullness of Jesus, I think it really helps us understand where we're going. So we're on the bus, we're gonna fast forward a thousand years or so, and then we're gonna see Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. John, John says it like this in the beginning of John 1, that the word was made flesh, and do you remember it? Dwelt among us. That God made himself human and lived among us. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was crucified, died, and buried. Then he was resurrected from the dead, and he conquered sin and death for the whole world. Paul puts it like this in Philippians 2. He says, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So you get confused about the nature of God, this is it. It revealed in Jesus. And this is what I really want you to hear. Jesus came to help us know the character of God fully. And the writer of Hebrews says, it about, says this about Jesus. He's the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus reveals everything about God that we need to know. And this Jesus that was revealed, he knows suffering, he knows pain, and he knows isolation. And because of that, now through his spirit, he can walk with us and meet us in our suffering and in our pain and in our isolation. Jesus has proven that God is not just up there and doesn't care and is watching from afar, but he is the Emmanuel, the God with us in every hard thing we have. And because of that, we never walk alone in the good times or the bad times. And always, always, we have the joy of resurrection as our companion with God in Christ. Ryan and I have a friend uh, named Matt Homeyer. Matt works for Truett now, but he's been a Texas Baptist pastor for some time. And he let, actually led our staff retreat. So, Cordell, I see you, Kurt. He led our staff retreat um, in last November. And then like a month later after our staff retreat, Matt's 10-year-old daughter got in a really bad horseback riding accident and had a traumatic brain injury and was hospitalized for months and is really just at the end of the school year gotten out of the hospital and is starting to kind of walk back into normal life. And we had breakfast with Matt about two weeks ago. And so we just asked him, what's it really? I mean, he, he's, you know, he does the online updates, but we wanted to know how's it really going with your daughter and how's the recovery and all that. And he kind of gave us a testimony of his life over the past few months, he and his wives, and his, he has a younger son as well. And he said this, he said, our daughter was in a coma, which is the worst thing that we could think of. We couldn't communicate with her. We didn't know if she was gonna be okay. And so we just prayed and prayed and prayed that, that she would know that God loved her, that God cared about her, and that God was with her. And we prayed that all the time. And we told her that, even though we didn't know if she could hear us or respond to us or no. Well, a month later, she came out of the coma, and really months later, she recovered her speech. And she told them, she said, I don't want y'all to worry about me in that time, because God was with me, and all the time, God was telling me, I love you, and I care about you, and you're not alone. And Matt kind of testified to us, really encouraged us, that no matter what we are going through, God is present in our lives, in the lives of the people we love, in the situations of people we love, in ways that we just cannot know 
in ways that are only possible through his spirit and the mystery of his presence. And as much as we wanna control and change and influence those things, there are places that only God can go. But the good news is God does go there and he meets people there in vulnerable ways. And this is the truth of the gospel. This is the resurrected Jesus, the God that we see in Christ. He suffers with us, he knows suffering, he chose that path. And then through the gift of his spirit, which he said is better for us than if he stayed with us, we have the companionship of Christ no matter what life brings our way. Amen? Let's pray. God, we acknowledge that there are places in our life and in our universe that only you can go. There are spaces in our heart that only you know about. And we trust, because we've seen it in Jesus, that you love us, that you care about us. You love the people that we love even more than we do. You know their hearts better than we do. And God, we trust that you are sovereign, meaning that you are in control and you're invested and you're walking with us closely and not just out there. And so Lord Jesus, I pray just for us that we could walk closely with you no matter what's going on in our lives. If it's good, may we rejoice in your joy and be happy. And if it's not so good, may we find you in that and trust that you can carry our burden and that your, your yoke is easy. And so be with us today. Be with anyone that's watching, listening, watching this later. We trust, God, that you're in it in ways that we don't even know. And so we offer all this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.